0: been happy, happy to have you along with my fellow American tech watch radio. We keep an eye on tech so you don't have to be brought to you by Network Providers Incorporated, npitechguys.com or our website or networkprovidersinc.com uh, if you want to check out the main uh, site. And uh, we're always talking tech. We keep an eye on tech so you don't have to. We have a lot of fun. We're not just like a lot of tech shows of, you know, call in, we'll help you fix your computer. There's a lot of people that do that kind of stuff. We're also not the kind of guys that are so tech bite head guys that, you know what, the average person can't enjoy the conversation. What we try to do is bring things to the table that are unique, that are technology related, that are fun, that are interesting. Yes, we focus on security when necessary. That's why over the last several episodes, we've talked about credit card um, issues. We've talked about issues relating to gift cards. Uh, We've talked about all kinds of security related issues we talked about some of our favorite social um, media apps. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of fun, great, interesting, unique twists and things. Today, we want to do the same. Several companies are now putting data centers underwater. Are these submerged data centers just a novelty? Or is data management actually better done? down there, where it's wetter, or cooler, or all the above. Richard Palady writes an article about this whole topic that's pretty good, pretty interesting uh, in the tech world. And um, let me just ask you a question, Jay. You may or may not know the answer. This is not meant to be a trap question. Okay. But when do you think the first underwater data center experiment was conducted and by whom? Any idea?
1: Oh, the first experiment not long after the computers were invented, probably I would say in the fifties or sixties, but I don't know. But I don't know who by. All right, near do
0: I? But they say this: the first large-scale underwater data center experiment was conducted by Microsoft in
1: 2015. That shocks me. I'm surprised because, because I... even when you had vacuum tubes, you had the problem with heat dissipation. And so, right. you know, I, I would think that it had been a lot earlier than that. And I, I guess it depends on what you call large scale, because I'm sure there were small right. scale uh, experiments long before that.
0: I'm sure you're right. But anyway, it's interesting to me that, that 2015 is not very long ago. And the first large scale, you would think of small scale ones worked super well, that they would have gone large scale faster. So I, that's the reason that I ask you that question. It's not a trick question. I'm sure small-scale ones, but maybe they haven't worked out as well. That's why it didn't go as large-scale. I'm just not sure, but I, I can't believe they started playing with this in 2015. I, I I'm surprised. Right. So I, I, I think also it's think... It's easier said than done is the
1: point. The ocean is a beautiful place. I love the ocean personally, but it is a hostile environment to metals and to everything else. I mean, you've got barnacles, you've got um, issues with... Rust and corrosion and salt water and pressure and everything else. I mean, we covered a little bit of that in the, a previous episode, but um, I, it just doesn't seem like it. Seems like a, a more arid place, either north or south pole, or higher elevations, or anything like that, would be easier place to to dissipate heat. I mean, we do that now. Sure, you have some rigs that are water cooled, but most most processors. I think in in a large majority of ways, even in big data centers, they're using air cooling. They're using um, air conditioners and um, split systems and things like that and and fans on copper on heat sinks to air cool things. And there's a reason for that. And it has to do with the simplicity. The only thing you have to deal with there is dust. You don't have all these other issues and marine life and everything else to deal with.
0: You're right about that. Now, they say the most compelling reason to do this is, as we mentioned, cooling and the cost of cooling. That's the most compelling reason to do this. Now, here's what I found fascinating about this. They say this, the inert gases and liquids used to fill underwater data centers
1: are less corrosive than ambient air. Right. That's because they use things like nitrogen and noble gases and things because they they don't react with anything. So you don't even like oxidize aluminum or anything in a a situation like that. But that's also, that's not where people are going to be accessing it either because that's not sustainable. You know, one of the, another thing about all of this with the cooling issue that I think people might be missing the boat on a little bit is that, yes, you've got to keep data centers cool but if you think of it as another resource, the heat that's coming off of them, and it doesn't matter what you're doing with your data center, whether it's just data storage or your, your bit mining, you know, whatever you're doing, if you have that in a cool environment, um, it makes it easier because the thermal gap is bigger. But also you can do something with that heat. You can use it to heat buildings around for people or for the things or for growing stuff. You can use the, d- the temperature differential to run things like sterling engines and generate power. There's a lot of things you can do. I think you can get another Use cycle out of that heat that you've created for the data center one more time in between just letting it out into the environment to cool with
0: yes they talk about artificial cooling to the architecture of the way these things are built um it's just an interesting discussion about how we can alter the architecture of the buildings that house these quote, equipment underwater data centers. Because as you mentioned, you can pipe that off to do other things with it. And the question becomes what kind of an ecosystem can we build around this? So the point that I'm getting at is don't just think of this as a technology to say, hey, take my data center, put it under the sea so it's cool. If that's all there was to it, there's only, I mean, there's some trade-offs. There's good, there's bad, it's difficult. It's a, But if you could create a whole ecosystem where you could, you know. Have that heat get sent somewhere. Do something with it right. productively down the line and create this big ecosystem of productivity. Now you're getting somewhere, and that's where they're starting to take these large-scale, um, I don't know what you call them, experiments?
1: Well, I think you, you also have to at least consider the fact that if you're dumping a ton of heat into an ocean environment, you know, they talk. you see um, global warming and, and these experts that are talking about, One, two, three degree rise in temperature is killing coral reefs and all this kind of stuff. I mean, what will that do to a local environment to put uh, a bunch of excess heat into it? I mean, surely the ocean can absorb some of that, but I don't know. Is that that the best thing? There's a lot of marine life. Again, it comes down to a marine life issue that there's a lot of things to consider and a lot of variables. Uh, And and this may be a pipe dream a little bit or or a mermaid dream. I don't know.
0: And they called this thing from Microsoft, Product Productmatic Initiative, is what they called it. Project <laughs> Projectmatic Initiative is what it was called. Some smaller companies have even filed
1: suit over it now. Leave it to Microsoft to come up with such a catchy name.
0: Yeah. What would you have called it, Jay?
1: I don't know, but that, I would have spent a little more time on it to call it than productmatic initiative that doesn't roll off the I might tongue. have tried to talk to Disney and say under the sea. Yeah. The Sebastian product it, right? or something or project.
0: You know? <laughs> now I guess some folks have filed lawsuits about this. Other companies have followed suit and have actually become marketing some of their services. They believe it or not have data centers that you can actually put some of your stuff in under the sea now,
1: Jay. Sounds gimmicky to me at this point. Uh, I don't know. So that's so you, how you can brag card, about. Hey, get one today, man. My my data, throbo's under the water. How about yours, Sam?
0: Uh, I don't know how to say this company's name. I n t e r, x, i o n, interaction or inter. Interaction. That in Stockholm, Sweden guys. have already experimented with this stuff, uh, and I guess they've made some. <laughs> Real In Sweden,
1: they're putting stuff under the ocean to keep it warm, not to keep it cool.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They say it might sound like a gimmick, Jay, but it's actually practical. And they say that it's going somewhere, and this is going to be a thing, and this is going to be the future. Now, they say this, and this is what I find fascinating. They also believe that wind... And what they call tidal wave, I don't know what that is, but tidal wave energy tidal power, yep. is going to be uh, involved in this. I could see that. So, what do you think?
1: I rebuild one. Do Maybe I, that's the next wave This can, is what I think. I think the Musk can get rich. I think it's a it's a a great um, experiment, and let them, let them continue to experiment and see what they can come up with. I don't know how feasible it is. If I was a, if if I was an angel investor, I don't know that I'd be putting my money necessarily toward this unless I heard more compelling arguments. Because I seem to, in my own head, think of more um, disses to it or, or more cons than pros. But you know, maybe there are there. I'm undoubtedly there are other things that I I'm not considering. So um, what if somebody's you put putting your data money center
0: into under it. a floating wind farm? So you got
1: these wind turbines out in the ocean that are floating and what if they got the data center under that dude, Jay? I mean, you also you got to think of logistics for like <laughs> you know, how are you getting connectivity out to this floating wind farm and and things like that? I, this Well, they're going to say this.
0: If you have the data center in the middle of the ocean and it's done right, you might have
1: Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> maybe for cold redundancy or backups and things like that, that that could be, but you're not you know, you're not going to host a, any kind of real time data server out there where you need high bandwidth and in very low latency access.
0: Now, the other question is this. What about doing something like that in lakes as opposed to just the ocean? It doesn't have to be salt water necessarily. It could be uh, kind of a freshwater deal too, a little bit more
1: um, inland, not as deep, but yet still take advantage of the cooling properties. What if you could, and just thinking off the top of my head, you know, you have places where people need heat and warmth. What if you could somehow distribute your um, your servers or, or, or parts of your data center into small places where you could take that heat and make it useful for people or get some kind of benefit off of it? And maybe you provide their bandwidth or their local power and and you're getting, you know, double duty. I don't know. There's There's got to be more creative things to do with this. And, um, and I, I applaud him for for testing it because it is creative and let's see how it works out
0: yeah some are saying too that if you do it right you could have basically uh wave energy you could have wind energy on the top you could have cooling energy below you you could have the title um tidal. is that the right word tidal yeah tidal. Energy? it's the same Tidals. as wave energy same thing yep wait okay um all this stuff could could generate together and create these eco centers of of just real, inexpensive initiatives. Um, now some people say that you know if you're not very careful, you might have some uh, people do some deep sea diving kind of bring. What are those? What's that ship that went down and and, and failed? That tried they tried to go down and see the Titanic and stuff. What's that? What are those called?
1: Oh, that submersible that imploded. Or, oh, whatever that's called.
0: It's a, it's a Okay, people they're saying that criminals might be able to go down there and just totally. Control data centers, if that was done and stuff, that could be a big concern, too. Just send down the, what do you call it, black hat submersible? Just, it's just weird. The more you think about it, the more you dig into this, the more you're just going to go, okay, it's getting crazy fast. Um, and it's all about the Project Matic initiative of Microsoft, right? But you could disrupt services and knowledge and equipment and steal things. So the they're trying to say we got to we got to put these data centers in controlled national, not international waters. Jay.
1: Yeah, because if they're in international waters, anybody can just take them.
0: Yeah, and they say this too. They're debating the shapes of these things, like server racks are like rectangle things, right? But yeah. are these things better as cylinders or round or what? Apple's tampered with round computers. Haven't you seen those Apple computers that are just like yes. Parts? I have. Round they something. never
1: really caught on all that much, I don't think. I mean. No. I'm just saying, though,
0: that they're even debating that of how long they'll last, how long squares, they will
1: be used, what shape they ought to be. Squares still stack better. Just look at ocean liners and sealand land containers. They're not making those round. Yeah, they'd be stronger, but there's you have all these problems with all the gaps in between. You know, things pack better in squares.
0: Yeah. China is using cylindrical vessels for these uh servers jay okay so you know if you want to follow the way uh china does it then that's how you would go about it i guess all right moving on what about living in these kind of situations you know what if you had a uh wind thing on top and then you had below that the data center and then below that you lived or in the middle of these two you lived or something like that um would you live in a self-sufficient pod in the ocean. Uh, and people are really talking about that now. Um, oh, what's that guy's name? He's one of the guys that started PayPal, not Elon Musk. It's another guy. Can't remember his name right now. He's a big high tech guy. Um, he was working on, uh, he's like a libertarian guy, not to make this political, but he wanted to create these self-sufficient living, um, places. Oh, what are those called? Anyway, he wanted ships to be basically countries in, in the international water. that would be kind of a ship that was a country that people could live on or whatever and stuff like that. Oh, Peter Theo is his name. Anyway, what do you think of that, Jay? You ready to live on one of them, a boat?
1: Oh, I, I think it's like people say about California. It's probably nice to visit, but I don't think I'd want to live there.
0: Anyway, they got these white spherical sea pods now designed to help people live in luxury with rising seas, Jay. It's kind of what they're talking about now. Yeah, because we're all going to be underwater. Um, I don't know. I don't think I can handle it. I think I'd go stir crazy unless there's a way to, you know, you'd probably get get seasick, Sam. That's a good point. You might get used to it.
1: You would eventually. Anyway, the next point this, will be when they go to outer space. I mean, you get used to well, freefall too, right?
0: Sea levels might just rise to where you are,
1: Jay. Yeah, that's true. They say when you're on a sea pod, believe it or not, it feels like you're on
0: land. They're so stable now, Jay. Cruise ships are
1: like that. I mean, any big enough ship you can get, you can. it increases the stability. It depends on how big they're going to make them, these sea pods. Well, I've been on a cruise and
0: on a pretty big ship, and I'm telling you right now, um, it's pretty stable and everything, but I can feel it moving, though. Like, if you're laying in your bed at night and you're on a cruise, you can feel the boat moving and stuff.
1: Really? Where, where did you yeah. go? You must have went to an Alaska cruise or something. I went on an Alaska cruise, yeah. And Caribbean cruises aren't, aren't as—I yeah, think there's a little bit more wave action up there. When in Alaska, Uh, I'm not saying, or or maybe it's a smaller boat. Actually, that's that may be true. I'm not
0: saying that it was rolling like, oh my heavens. I'm just saying that you could feel a little bit of the movement of the boat.
1: I've uh, I've been on several cruises, mostly in the Caribbean off of Florida, and And you never feel the boat move. I wouldn't say never, but I would say, even in the worst of weather that I've been in, I've seen you know, video of ones where it's been worse, but even when they're like, man, the weather's pretty bad, like you shouldn't go up topside or whatever because it's so windy and the weather's bad. You can see liquid moving in your glass, but even then you barely notice uh, uh, the movement. I mean, the, the, these vessels are so enormous.
0: Yeah. Anyway, say so these floating homes, of course, are not a new invention by any means. Um, they got this thing, place called Water Studio, I think it's called or whatever. Um, and it's by this Dutch architect or whatever. And this stuff's been around for a long time. When I was a kid, I had a friend that lived on a houseboat. You know, he, he had a little boat that he lived on right so you know i don't know self-sufficient pods versus some of this but if they combine all that technology it will certainly be interesting to say the least
1: i think it's a good run for living off world living in outer space living in harsher climates where um it's not sustainable like on mars and these places like this or the the moon even and i and think, think we're going to do people,
0: that think people are going to uh Uh, do you think they're going to do it?
1: I do. I think that they will. I think it's like it's almost like the next generation for humanity uh, or the next big step is to be an off-world planet or, or an off-world species. Huh.
0: I don't know, man. I'm not... Uh, how do I say this right? I'm not the kind of guy that wants to be the experimenter guy.
1: I'm not either because I'm a family guy, <laughs> and so I'm not like a Lewis and Clark pioneer kind of guy, you know, that, that just... I I I see the allure to it, and I think it's it's cool. Um, it's just not in the cards for me, but I think that we will do that. Yeah, I think that it it, it may not be long. Maybe it'll be longer than I thought, because even a hundred years ago, people were thinking that you know we'd be we're almost there. But uh, I think that it'll happen. I, we see the vastness of space, and it's all open. And so far as we can tell, there's no other life out there. And it's kind of like almost our our job or our calling to make that happen and to. Um, become a a multi-world species i believe
0: amen to that all right last story of the hour here's hoping google maps new colors are a sign of more changes to come google maps uh, i guess they're working on uh people are just mad about the apps color changes they're not happy about all that kind of stuff
1: oh my gosh
0: some are loving it but the bottom line is they say hey is this going to be better? Is it going to end up being better maps? Do the colors really matter?
1: Jay? How hard would it be to just make it where, you know, the colors are whatever they think is best, and then you could have a setting or something, and you could change it based on your logged-in profile. I mean, you're almost always logged into a Google account when you're using Google Maps anyway. Just let people customize it, I guess, and, and make it easy to reset to defaults. But um, I people get mad over anything. They get mad over the color of a map. I mean, come on. <laughs>
0: The reason I find that interesting, though, is there is the battle of the maps, though, that, you know what, it seems like for a while maps really improved when it comes to GPS and your phone and everything else. And everybody said, oh, man, don't use Apple Maps. Google's better. And then somebody else says, oh, well, I got lost because of this. And, you know, it doesn't seem like they're um, they're improving as fast as they ought to, Jay.
1: Yeah, well, I think what happens is we see these spurts where things improve. I mean, take the, the cell phone, for instance, in the... Late '90s, you had these huge improvements in cell phones and size and everything else. And then, you know, when the iPhone came out, you had these huge leaps and bounds of where we're going from um, only a few cell phones had keyboards, but they were full manual to a phone that has no keys on it. It was like amazing, and it was all screen. And so, we see the kind of this pendulum shift back and forth of where technology gets really better and really. It um, has a, a time of stagnation or where there aren't just these huge improvements. And I think we've seen that with Maps. We see it with, you know, when, when the first garments came out and GPS in general was available to the public, it, there was a big boon in mapping. And then MapQuest was kind of the leader for a while, and now it's Google Maps. And now as far as for, on phones, there's, there's always this debate. Is it Google Maps? Is it Waze, which I guess is owned by Google now? Um, is it Apple Maps? You know, we're, we're kind of in a lull, I think, a, a little bit of a lull period in maps. And, um, you know, something new will come out. We'll see a big leap forward or, or several major technology revolutions in a short period of a year or a couple of years. And that's just how technology goes. We see that in a lot of different areas of tech. Sam just hopes maps continue to
0: improve
1: with AIJ. I, I don't I agree with that I think that AI can do some cool stuff I don't want AI you know dreaming up things or, or changing maps or doing any of that kind of stuff but you may have creative routing there may be um, other issues where AI can contribute to it um you know AI maybe AI could contribute to color schemes and come up with color schemes that people like better I don't know but um maybe you'd have to explain a little bit more where you're where you're thinking AI can contribute toward to mapping
0: well my wife oftentimes gets frustrated because she says you know what it gives me the direction but it gives me it like two seconds too late to take action right or a second late. you know what if you would have just told me that three seconds ago it would have really helped yeah <laughs> and I'm wondering if AI or um, improved maps or both could change that game where we could get more information a little bit more ahead of time you know when you tell somebody three seconds too late that they should have changed lanes it's really hard to do something about it now or well i, I don't know it, 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 that's just an example right yeah
1: i think if it can integrate better real time with your surroundings for example if it can see when a lane is open and tell you to change lanes now knowing that you're going to in a half mile up here need to be in that of the lane anyway um that kind of stuff will be an improvement but that's going to take more integration with your hardware your car yeah, and sensors on board and stuff yeah exactly
0: um, but they could also though you know the maps are getting smarter. you know they say now use the left two lanes to turn left or you know whatever and that's right they're, and they're it didn't now used to do that. Aware. they're getting better and it didn't used to do that. So there's a middle ground there too. Um, what you're talking about becomes really high tech. What I'm talking about those just the next steps. Let's take the next steps in making maps better though. And I, what I'm afraid that they're not doing that they ought to do is they ought to have ways for us. For example, if a map sends me to the wrong place or confuses me, I ought to be able to press a button and do something to give it. And somebody should be monitoring uh, and taking that information and using it to kind of clarify, verify, and, and then update um so that things become more clear, I think they they're I not agree. taking advantage of the mass crowdsourcing sourcing that could be
1: utilized. Jay, I, enough. I totally agree. I mean, there's a there's a place where uh, on maps every time that I go by and it thinks that the road ends and it doesn't, and then it like starts the directions over. And it'd be great to be able to give feedback, but I just think they don't know how to deal with that level of feedback from so many people. They would get AI, so much randomness, and maybe that is the place for AI to contribute is to deal with the onslaught of feedback that you would get amen to that we're flat out of time TechGuys.com. check out all
0: the podcasts share with your friends merry christmas make it a great tech day will you we keep an eye on tech so you don't have to on tech watch radio